0: Salfie to Blue is your source for all things Everton. Um, I'm here with Chris Weeney today, who's written a fantastic book, a uh, biography about Tommy Gravison. Obviously, a bit of a cult hero at Everton from his time there in uh, between 2000 and 2005, and then he came back on loan, obviously in about it was 2007. Um, obviously, after it hadn't really worked out for him at Celtic, but um, he's like, we, we still love Tommy Gravison, and uh, you should really give the book a go. So uh, we we're, we're here with Chris. He's written this fantastic book. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about the book, Chris?
1: Hi there. Yeah, well, the book's um, it's really a bit of a homage, I guess, to sort of Tommy Gravison, um, just sort of talking about his life, about his football. I mean, I think what I tried to do was try and maybe show a bit behind the scenes. You know, maybe people know him for being this kind of rampaging, uh, sort of wild footballer, but he's actually quite a sensitive guy. You know, he's he's got quite a lot of quirks that maybe people surprise. You know, he's he's maybe a bit more. Um, there's maybe a bit more to him than people assume. You know, I know he gets called Mad Dog. I mean, that's <laughs> obviously Everton gave him that nickname, but. I think there's a lot. I think there's a lot um, about him uh, that maybe people don't know and maybe can, people can appreciate. And also, I think he's he's a last, as the title says. I think he's a last of the modern footballer mavericks. I don't think we'll see anyone like Tommy uh, make it in football. And not only that, you know, go to Everton, Celtic, and all the way to a club like Real Madrid.
0: Yeah, definitely. That's a really interesting one. We'll touch. It. We'll definitely touch on that in the interview as well. Um, obviously, you mentioned the title, Mad Dog. Um, I think. One of your sources said that was um, disrespectful or something like that, but that, that's what that was kind of a term of endearment for Everton fans that we call him because he was he was a mad dog. He's charged around the pitch, kicking people as great as he was. But I don't think it's not disrespectful, is it? It's a, that's, a, that's what he proud himself on, surely. <laughs> I
1: think so. I think I think the issue is that I think there's a lot of things that are, you know he I got different names during his career. In Germany, he was the humour bomb, and at Everton he was mad dog, and then when he went to Spain. You know, they did a, the tabloid paper, they did a big cover and they put him as Shrek and they <laughs> called him like, you know, the ogre. And I think maybe people started calling him a lunatic and a screwball. And I think maybe over time, you know, sometimes I think these names are easy to throw out and sometimes people mean them in different ways. And I think definitely Mad Dog was a term of endearment. And I think, I think he understands that at Everton. But I think in other places in his career, particularly towards the end, I think maybe he felt he couldn't be himself and people were giving him these labels. And, and I think maybe, like I say, he is quite a sensitive guy. Um, so I think maybe it's sort of chipped away at him, but I think he understands that Everton—it was—it wasn't in terms of endearment. And obviously, everyone I've spoken to at the club, and ex-players, and fans, and you know, people like yourself, sort of media around the club, everyone's got nothing but love for him, and he definitely knows that.
0: Yeah, definitely. was just say, he's a sensitive guy, and um, he's probably quite difficult because he he did shut himself off from the media for a while. So uh, I just wonder, like, how difficult was it to really write about him, considering he did shut himself off from the media quite a lot during his
1: career. And it made him, it's difficult, but also easier in the sense that, you know, if, if someone's doing a lot of media, like a lot of the footballers today, all the information's out there. You can go on their Wikipedia. So really it's not much of a challenge. You're also just sort of copying, sort of cutting and pasting a book together, which maybe might work, but it's not, it's not very um, fulfilling for an author like myself. And it's also probably not very fulfilling for fans and people like yourself. If they know everything. So sure. it actually made it nice and effective. It was a wee, wee, a wee bit of a challenge, um, I did ask him to be involved at the start, um, but um, one of his agents, his, his agent is kind of friend, a guy called John Seebeck, who was a former footballer as well, played for Manchester United in Monaco, he told me I was disrespectful for writing the book without Thomas, but I hadn't even written the book at that point, so I don't know how he knew it was going to be disrespectful. But in some ways, I felt actually it was better he wasn't involved because if, if someone sort of says, oh, you know, that guy's really crazy or that guy's really this, it has more, uh, I think, have more weight coming from someone else than you, uh, as a person, because we, we, all, we all have a, we all have an image of ourselves, and probably a lot of the times maybe not accurate, but if other people are saying it about you, um, then I think maybe you, you get a truer picture, so I think it was better in a way, and I think also Thomas doesn't see himself as a maverick, he just, he's only can be himself, so he probably doesn't appreciate maybe how different he is from other people in some ways, because he's only seen it through his own eyes, so I think it worked out better that he wasn't involved, I mean, it's up to him, I, I don't know if he's read it or not, but... Um, you know, uh, he shuts himself away.
0: That's his choice, and I've just got to respect it. I hope he does read it. I hope he does. I, I, I do think it's wrong for um, for, what, what's the name, Silva back, I, I do think it was wrong for him to call it disrespectful, and um, because he had not read it. Yet. Obviously, I, th- I thought it was wrong, and hopefully, he does read it and he realises it's not. It's not disrespectful. It's just paying homage to the player, as you play, as you say, because he really was a character and he deserves to be written about. Obviously, it's a it's a. As you said, it was a rich and topic that needs to be delved into because uh, it was just a wonderful player that has to be written about because you can't just rule that out. Obviously, he's a real character of the generation. We had to write about him, and um, good on you for doing so um, as well. As we were chatting about just before the interview as well, you used uh, a few Everton-related sources as well. Could you tell us about those?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I spoke to Darren Griffiths at your club. Uh, I mean, he's a great guy. I know a real great ambassador for you guys and. Was really helpful and it's you know sort of connected me to certain people so i spoke to uh, davy weir i spoke to alan stubbs and you know and i spoke to archie knox i spoke to three of them i spoke to other people as well but they were the three sort of uh you know sort of guys in the dressing room at thomas's time that really gave me their time archie obviously brought him over with walter smith they signed him and then his captains were were, were Stubbs and um and davy weir and they had loads to say about him. i mean absolutely loads uh you know i mean when I asked Archie, I said, you know, and Archie was with you know, with Alex Ferguson at Manchester United and Aberdeen, so he's a, you know, all, all the success at Rangers he had. And I asked him, I says, you know, you know, can you tell me about Thomas? You know, what did you think compared to other players? And he just sort of paused and he shook his head and just went, my God, what a boy, what a boy. <laughs> you, know, and, you know, they all had vivid stories, which are all in the book, you know, but then also had a lot of fan engagement. Um, you know, I tried to I tried to reach out to fans while I was writing the book because I feel sometimes with these football books... Uh, you know, and I read them myself being a football fan a lot of times it's there's players quoted or there's managers but very rarely does anyone ask the fans what they think and I think well they're a huge part of the game and that's one reason why Tommy's such a cult hero because of the way the fans respond to him so I wanted to involve them so I, I tried to get a flavour of how he was thought about accurately from the fans so maybe not all of them are directly quoting the book but Everton fans have made more of an impact in the book than probably they, they, they realise because I wasn't standing in Goodison watching all those games they were So have their involvement. But as a whole, and, and I've had support since the book came out, I'm doing this now with you and other Everton media as well. So, yeah the club's really come over very well and been very, very supportive, so I can only thank all of you.
0: Oh, yeah, I like the way you put it, the fans chapter at the end of the book as well, given the um, the fans' perspective. You've dedicated, obviously, a whole chapter of your book to fans' opinions of them as well, not just uh, not just what you think of them. I thought that was great reading through that. I thought that was a brilliant section of the book as well. Uh, I was just wondering as well, how, how um, there's a bit of a double question, but how important do you think Everton were to Tommy Graveson and vice versa? How, how important was, uh, was um, Tommy Graveson to Everton?
1: Well, I think first of all, I think they were very, very important to him because um, you know he comes from a small town in, Vial- in Denmark called Vila, where he was, um, you know, part of a community. It was, I mean, he was the main man in his team, but he was, he was part of a community. and he, ne- he never lost that spirit. And he went to Hamburg, and um, you know, it didn't quite gel in the same way. And he was lucky that his next move was to Everton, where it was, a, it's a big club. But you're not a huge club, you know. You're not a, maybe a Manchester United or a, a you know a, 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 a sort of uh, a Man City now where it's 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 you know out with control, whereas it was still tight knit. And he really enjoyed that. You know, it was he reveled in that. I think being part of a community. He lived in Liverpool. You know, he, he developed a kind of Scouse accent the way he speaks. English, you know, it really was important to him, and that helped him become a lot better better a player, you know, that's where he really proves himself, you know, he, he starts playing a really b- a big role for Denmark during the period of that time, you know, they're qualifying for World Cups, they're punching way above their weight as a small nation, he's playing at the top level obviously he gets a move to Real Madrid which is, you know, I mean, that's no small feat, that was through Everton, and in terms of your other point, you know, how how important was he to Everton, well if you look at the three years um, his last three years at Everton um you know, obviously he leaves halfway through the second year to go to, to go to Real Madrid. But those out of those three years, two of them, Everton finished fourth and they were fourth when he left. So they got to Champions League qualifiers with Thomas as the main man. The year in between that, Wayne Rooney was the main man. And if you look at the the, the performances, they're a lot lower when Wayne Rooney or the, the team overall was wasn't as performing well when Rooney was the main man. I'm not saying Thomas is a better player than Rooney, but for that squad of players. And to and to sort of be the playmaker or be the number ten, Thomas was a better fit than Wayne was, and you can see that in the results because w- with Wayne as the main man, they, you know they, they never got up to fourth. With Thomas as the main man, they did. And okay, it's not only him, but as part of a unit, um, I think he really delivered. I think he really delivered for Everton, and also he gave them a lot of things, a lot of intangible memories. You know, going off the park, he's stretchered off, and he's. He's pumping his arms up in the air and stuff. Mm-hmm. And all, all the things he did, he, he left a lot of intangible stuff that I think is the beauty of football. Like people, like you're saying, read this book and think about him and have memories of him and happiness. And I think sometimes that's more important than uh, you know winning cups or things. You know, footballs maybe lost a bit of that soul. And hopefully Thomas was one of the guys that could sort, of, sort of bring that back. So I think both ways. I think they were both key for each other.
0: Definitely, agree. Um, I agree. I do think probably Everton need. Uh, certainly, over the past few years, when we've uh, people have said we've lost our identity, we've needed a few more Thomas Graversons Definitely, we have uh, we've missed them, and um, obviously, as you say as well, um, with. With the uh, Gravison being in midfield, it's better to have a general in midfield than it has up front because you're just feeding all the with Wayne Rooney. We're just feeding all the balls to Wayne Rooney, expecting a very young player to shoulder the the weight of the team. Whereas with Gravison, he was able to do that from midfield, and he was able to shoulder that weight. He had a little bit more experience. He was, a, he was able to do that from midfield as well, so that worked as well. And a part of that midfield partnership was uh, Lee Carsley as well. Um, what well, how important was Lee Carsley to Thomas Gravison um, during his whole career at, uh, at Everton?
1: Oh, I think he was very, very important. I mean, that's actually, you know, Walter Smith, uh, you, you know, leaves Everton. And I'm not, I know maybe there's mixed feelings on Merseyside side about how good Walter Smith was for, for, for Everton. But his, his last thing he does is sign Lee Carsley. Uh, pretty much that was his last sort of main act as a manager there. And it's key because it allows Thomas then, because they all say, Thomas is attracted to the ball. That was what he saw. He just looked at the ball and he was after it. And I asked Alan Stubbs, I said, did it not bother you? I mean, you know, you're at the back here trying to try to cover space and running about and this guy, all over the place. You know, like, <laughs> it's not helping your job. And he said to me, well, you know... Um, we, we accepted that you know his part of the his part was to be expressive to make a pass or to, to take someone on and we accepted that but Lee Carsley really was key because then it really allowed Thomas to, to sort of be free and not leave the team exposed like you know be a tight unit and hopefully Thomas and other people might open up a defense get a goal. And, you know, you've got to balance any team. You know, you can't just be... I mean, you, you know, Real Madrid with a great time of, you know, you know sort of maybe 10 years ago when they'd all those attacking players, but they, but they never won anything because, obviously, you need to be a unit. So to, I think Lee really helped Thomas be a unit. And they were, they were close on and off the park as well. I mean, he, he rented Lee Carverley's flat for a while. They're still in contact. Or, you know, they you know they're in different places, but they're still friends. So, yeah, and I, and I think he also needs that kind of sense of community. Again, like I said, so having a good friend at the club having people around him on and off the park that, that that's what he wanted he wasn't a guy chasing limelight or you know trying to be uh, you know you know trying to create an image he really just wanted to play football and have a nice life. He was He's quite a simple guy in that way.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think it was the perfect partnership as well, because obviously, as much as Thomas, Thomas liked to go forward, uh, Lee Carsey could defend, and he could cover him, and uh, vice versa as well. Like the shortcomings of Carsey, might have had them going forward, Thomas Gravison certainly made up for. So it was the perfect midfield partnership, but obviously they, uh, they looked very similar, and um, they obviously... Uh, number tw- number sixteen and twenty six led to the um, <laughs> led to the suggestions that uh, Real Madrid actually signed the wrong player. Um, as you mentioned in the book, Florentino Perez, the uh, Real Madrid president, said um, he wanted to sign a defensive-minded player who could break up the play, and that was pretty much a perfect description of Lee Carsley and not Thomas Graveson. So uh, that that's an interesting um, little little thing. What what do you think about that? Do you, do you think the uh, Real Madrid actually did sign the wrong player?
1: I don't think they did, but. I think there might have been some confusion about maybe what they thought Thomas was, or or maybe they came and saw him and did see shades of Lee, like saw maybe Lee Carsley do something and got an impression it was him. You know, I mean, I don't think they expected Lee Carsley to step off the plane in Madrid, <laughs> but you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised if there was some, you know, because they are very similar build. You know, haircut or lack of say, <laughs> You know, things like you say. I mean, the one, the one, the one person who did have a different opinion on this is David Weir, who said that um, he said that to him, Thomas. Yeah, you needed a free role, undoubtedly. But he said the other thing you could do with him is if you gave him a role, exactly to the letter, like you know, just do this. Like he would be okay. It was when you gave him any form of choice that he would just chase the ball. But he said if he said to him. Just stay here to here, or only do this, then he was okay. So he was the one person who thought maybe it could have worked in Madrid being that defensive midfielder, if it was extremely clear what he wanted, what he was supposed to do, and only do that, nothing else. So, but yeah, I mean, I think I think most of us realised that he wasn't a defensive midfielder. But he goes on to Bernabéu, he doesn't disgrace himself. I mean, he he played in some big games, and you know, he played in Champions League games, El Clásicos. So you know. He did Everton, proud. I mean, he, you know, I think he represented the club well over in Madrid. So, but yeah, that's another chapter in the in the wonderful life that is Thomas Graves. <laughs>
0: he did, yeah, and he's probably um, probably changed his style of play. I think you mentioned in the book as well a little bit, like about how he did change a little bit at Madrid because he was he, he was needed to really. He was he signed as a defensive player, and it's not his nature to be that kind of defensive player. Um, but he did adapt to the circumstances and he did adapt to the role and performed quite well in Madrid in the end. And um, they appreciated him for that, and obviously he did. Represent the club well as well. Um, just some of the anecdotes I, I really enjoyed in the book, such as um, the one where um, his my teammate have found the picture since where he um, he gets his uh, he gets his private part out and puts him on puts him on the the head of his, his teammate. And there's a there's a um, there's a picture going around the internet of um of that moment, and it was fantastic as well. Um, so I thought, um, could you possibly tell us a little bit about some of the practical jokes he played at Everton?
1: Yeah, well, actually, in the book, there's actually a picture of that, but I've actually got the, the photographer who's lying on the ground. His angle of it, which is even more graphic, we've had to obviously pixelate oh. certain issues, but I thought it was quite fun to show it from a different angle because everyone's seen it from the you know, the far away angle, but he was actually saw this shape appearing at the top of, <laughs> uh, at the top of his frame as he, as he was taking his picture. I mean, Thomas was just out there, you know, he was just... I mean, that's the kind of thing he would do in front... Of, that, that that was in Romania, you know, before a big World Cup game. And, <laughs> you know, that's the thing. He, he, he didn't ever maybe judge situations. He didn't think about tomorrow. It was always very spontaneous. You know, kind of like the way he played football, really. Just sort of in the moment. And this is what he did. And he did loads of things. I mean, he... You know, he brought d- dynamite to training at Hamburg and blew, <laughs> left a big crater in the field. He... Um, when he moved to Hamburg, he actually put Gravison HSV, which is like the kind of... HSV is the kind of German abbreviation for Hamburg, you know, the football club. He actually put that on his buzzer in the city centre. So if anyone was passing by and wanted a chat about the football, they could just press his buzzer. Um, it's Celtic, you know, Aidan McGeady, another former Everton player. He talks about, you know, Gordon Strachan doing this big team talk and, you know, going, going through things. And he looks round and here's Thomas sitting in the dressing room with his looking through a newspaper with the eyes cut out. You know, <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, d- you know, during the team talk and you know it goes on. I mean, he's he's also that another team talk with Strachan. Strachan saying to him, "Right, Thomas, today, don't talk to the referee. Just leave the referee alone. You know, we don't want any decision. We don't want any dissent, No yellow cards. Keep your mouth shut. Don't talk to him." So it's, a, it's an old firm game against Rangers. You know, they're getting ready to go out. The the referee knocks on the door to check the boots. Of course, who opens the door? Thomas Gravison, And he just says, sorry, lad, can't speak to you today, and slams the door in his face. (laughs) That's the kind of guy he was. He uh, he was just so different. I mean, there's a great story from Everton when his his, his girlfriend at the time, you know, was a, you know, from Denmark, his kind of childhood sweetheart. You know, she was a female player, so she was playing for Everton ladies at the time. So Archie Knox would tell me after training, they would go into the, you know, they used to train then at Belfield. You know, they would go into the, the sort of the, the, the big indoor hall there and they'd play one on one, you know, her and Thomas and Thomas would be fizzing balls in and sliding in and taking her out and he'd be playing like it was a man. You know? <laughs> he just didn't he, he he just didn't change. He was like a big a big kid and I mean that in a very nice way. He was a very honest big guy who really just went, did things, you know, just live by his own lived by his own rules, cut my a different cloth. Um, you know, he, he, at one point he was driving a green, a, a small Nissan Green Micra in Liverpool because he he didn't like in the in the sort of bad rainy weather of Liverpool, which I'm from Glasgow, so I know I know all about that as well. I mean, you know, he, he didn't want to have a nice car, so he would sell all his cars. He'd a Porsche or a big Ford Jeep, he'd sell them, and he'd buy like a banger. And one of the famous ones was this Green Nissan Micra, and he was telling clubs, <laughs> "Oh, it's great for parking in Liverpool." I mean, it's just, just a totally different guy. I mean, there's loads and loads of stories. I, could, I I could go on forever. And there's even now more on the internet popping up since I brought the book out. And some people say they're true. Some people don't. You know, there's there's loads. Mike Tyson, beating those, <laughs> uh, Mike Tyson thinking he was out of control and if, <laughs> and asking for his shirt and wearing his shirt all around Denmark. I mean, if Mike Tyson thinks you're out of control. Uh, you know, then uh, you know you probably are a, a bit of a special individual.
0: <laughs> yeah, definitely. There's some there's some fantastic anecdotes in the book, and just for the listeners as well, there's many more. So make sure you do give it a read because there's some quality stories in there as well. Eh? obviously, he was a bit of a mysterious character. But i was just wondering as well, where, where do you think Tommy's up to? What, what's he doing at this present moment? Where's he living? And what's he up to?
1: Well, he's left. He's left Las Vegas. He has left Las Vegas. He now lives back in Vila, which is where he started. Which is not a surprise because you know, that's probably where he feels most comfortable. I mean, he's a, he's an absolute legend uh, there. I mean, the people, uh, all the people I spoke to, you know, they they have a big respect for Thomas. And I think it's because it's a small place and even out into the world, and he got all the way to Real Madrid, English Premiership and World Cups, and he represented them well. You know, he he, and he, he, he didn't conform. He didn't change who he was, which I think is nice. He didn't kind of sell out. I don't know if that's the kind of phrase now. I mean, you see a guy like Tini Zlatan, Zlatan Ibrahimovic, good footballer, but... I think he's a bit of a buffoon, you know, yes, with all yes, these yes. kind of, you know, antics and try to give this an image and in persona, which we all know is not really him. He, he knows he's putting an act on, and Thomas wasn't like that. He is who he is, and I think he made the people of Isle very proud. So he's back there. Um, he he lives a big white kind of tall apartment building he has the penthouse there i'm i'm told by a couple of people that are close to him if you want to hang out and you want to meet him just hang about the city center and he'll go for a coffee and talk to you he's very nice guy if you're in the media and you want to get into his business no he'll probably tell you to bugger off (laughs) but um he's there he he does a wee bit of punditry sort of he's dipping his toe in that um he did a one interview um but again it was all very superficial about football and very kind of he doesn't really do stuff talking about himself. And I don't think he's really done any such series interviews for a good, or maybe close on 15 years, like sort of talking about his feelings and other things, not just sort of general bits about the game, you know? So um bit of a mystery. And in Denmark, he's known as a unicorn because he so, uh, you know, he's so mysterious. There's a lot of stuff, mm-hmm. rumours rolling around him. And, but he's back there and, you know, he's hanging out with his old friends, Stig Tofting as well, um, an old footballer, and some, some of the old guys they all sort of hang out together. So... Yeah, I think he's enjoying
0: life. Uh, he's left the bright lights of Vegas behind, anyway. <laughs> no, he's probably one of the great characters football scene, to be honest. And um, obviously, the the topic did need to be delved into, and that's what you did with, with this book, which is fantastic as well. It uh, really did a rich a rich topic that needed to be delved into. And uh, one of the one of the claims you made, which was really interesting, was uh, the Tom Tommy is the the last maverick um, of of the game of football. Um, do you think there's any budding mavericks in in world football at the moment?
1: Um, I, was, I was having to think about this you know, when I was writing the book and I think what the way I try to I think sometimes people look at Maverick as this kind of like failed player you know like sometimes you saw someone that could have been good but they drank too much or they had a cocaine habit or something and I think that's kind of wrong I think it's actually more someone who does something that's kind of you know there's that intangible spirit where you know maybe they are not the best player but there's something you remember about them there's something that they give you that other players can't like to me I love watching Ronaldo and Messi, but I would never say they were mavericks. I would never say they leave that kind of intangible thing that Thomas seemed to do and other players have done down the years. So I was trying to think about it and I, I can't think of any player that... I mean, if you think to the Everton squad now, is there any player you'd love to hang out with, you'd love to know more about? You know, I'm struggling, you know, even in England, I'm thinking is any English player or an English team right now or a Scottish team that I'd love to know more about that I think would be really interesting... Maybe they maybe they have these personalities and they just don't show them. Maybe they don't have them. I think the academy system and a lot of money in the game now has changed a lot. Social media probably has changed some things. I just wish they would be themselves and maybe maybe not hide it. And I think Thomas is a great example to any kid out there because whatever you do, whether it's football or something else, you know, do it your way. Be yourself. You know, you don't have to change. You don't have to conform. Yeah. I mean, he got all the way to Real Madrid they never did it so you know any, anyone that tells you you can't do it well there's an example of someone who did it his way you know' so good on him but no I can't think of any um, any any you can think of any if you get any ones that you are, you were you hanging on to
0: um it's quite difficult because as you say I agree with the point you made in the book about it's quite difficult in terms of academies nowadays bring up players in a certain way to behave in a certain way and they do have a model for them and they kind of trust the personalities a little bit and tell them do you give the media training and tell them to act in a certain way just you know like a. Uh, look forward to the next game kind of thing just like just shush the personalities out and that's a great shame because that was one of the the best parts of the game and um, obviously you talk about as well you, in your chapter in your book about uh, football mavericks of the past you talk about um, footballers who've expressed their political views as well um, and that would never be done nowadays that would never be allowed to be done um, apart from uh, obviously um Sam Allardyce, who came out recently, the ex-Everton manager, said, uh, supporting Donald Trump, which is an absolute load <laughs> of crap. But um, apart from that, the players, you know, they're just um, they're not yeah. the same anymore, as, 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 as you say, But uh, I just thought um, to, to, to close the segment as well, just a little, um, just a little bit about the uh, Everton Mavericks, and uh, I've, uh, yeah, I've got some for you to run past you, and I want you to uh, let us know how much of a Maverick you think they are and why. But um, there's a few names anyway. Obviously, the uh, the obvious one I'll put forward to you. Obviously, um, your countryman as well, Duncan Ferguson. What do you think?
1: Oh, Duncan's definitely a maverick. I, I think you'd have to give him maverick status. I mean, he was. I mean, he was well known for scrapes in Glasgow. I mean, he, he had a period of Glasgow where he used to have uh, taxi queues. He used to feel he had a divine right to go to the front of any taxi <laughs> queue uh, at, at, at any time of the night. And uh, he would, uh, he's been there's numerous stories in Glasgow of scrapes and incidents he had in taxi queues. And obviously, he was the first football ever to go to jail as well. So, uh, you know, when he, when, he, when he head-butted Jock McStay in the against Ruth <laughs> Rover. So, oh, yeah, I mean, he was a real character. And there's a lot of stuff that... Uh, he bit, Duncan Ferguson, to me, someone that I, I wish we'd hear more from him. Like I wish he would express a bit more. I mean, now he's... I know he's an assistant coach and all that, but I wish we'd hear more from him because... I think people love that, you know, um, but yeah, oh, I, I think we've got to give Duncan a solid, uh, you know, I, I think he's a solid 9 out of 10 Maverick man, and also he loves keeping pigeons, which is not <laughs> really your normal, I mean, that's what, even even anybody who was young guy, that was one of his main hobbies, keeping pigeons, so yeah, I think they give him a solid 9 out of 10 in the Maverick status for yeah, definitely, definitely, that's quite top. impressive.
0: It's quite yeah. a high Maverick rating. The Duncan Ferguson everything <laughs> he, he well deserved as well. Um, obviously there's a story about him beating up the um or holding hostage the uh, the robbers he tried to,
1: he aye, tried aye, to his I house. That. As well, that's yeah, in the yeah. book as well. And also his dad. I think his dad as well, because when he was at when he was at Dundee United, you know Jim McLean was a kind of very old kind of tyrant manager. You know he would go he would go crazy. Uh, you know, r- really, really on the players and like and intimidation. And I think at one point Duncan Ferguson's dad was trying to beat him up, so I think he became like almost fried with Duncan Ferguson. So there's loads of stories about that, you know, as well <laughs> up at Dundee United and at Rangers. And, and he's also a damn good player. I mean, he was, a, he was a hell of a good player in the air. I mean, he, I remember a few games he seemed to. Dunk not to do. Um, sometimes I think we used to raise his game for certain games, and I, and I think maybe that was the only thing that let him down, for, for my opinion. But against Manchester United, I remember a few ding-dongs at Goodison where he was—he uh, was pretty damn good in the air. I mean, he, 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 he had a good timing on him. Something about his leap—he seemed yeah. to be really. I was, if he was, what he I've never seen him dominate him in the air. Is maybe what I'm trying to say? You know, he seemed to have a real talent for that, and he probably could have went on to better things. I think, um, you know. But yeah, definitely nine out of ten. Dunk, it's got yeah. a yeah, it was, man. oh Definitely. Oh.
0: He's still yeah. at uh, he's still at the club obviously as well. Some people say he's um, he's he's only still there because people are scared to let him go. Um, but no, I think he's there as you say because of his attributes and just teach these young strikers like Dominic Calvert Lewin who are at the club at the moment to be that strong in the air because that if if, if anyone can get as good as that then uh, we're, we're, we're definitely on the right tracks as well. Uh, just to, to chuck a couple of uh, other names at you as well is a man that we interviewed on the Toffee Blues channel last year. Um, possibly a football maverick, I don't know as he's, you he's say, he's, I, th- I do think he's one of those who's gone a little bit off the rails and his career's gone off track is Royston Drentha, uh, obviously there's been stories of him, I think he turned up at Everton training, he confessed to this as well in the interview that he, he turned up to Everton training um, drunk one night, I think it was about 2 o'clock in the morning with, with girls on his arm um, waiting for training in the morning And he's um, he um, he, oh, he just an absolute character, he, he, he was frozen out by David Moyes in the end for being too much of a character but uh, what would you give him in the Maverick
1: rating I'm trying to think because I, I remember he went to Real Madrid as well. He, he had a spell at Real Madrid, but he, he was pretty pacey. But I thought more he was more of a wasted talent than a Maverick. You know, I feel as though he didn't do enough um, to earn Maverick status. You know, he he's kind of what I'm saying. I think a lot of people maybe look at him, but. To me, he was maybe just a bit, you know, immature, or didn't take didn't take advantage of it. So I don't feel ever I don't feel Everton fans are going to look at him with love and respect and welcome him back. They might they might take pity on him, but no, nah, I think we've got to, I can't give Royston the Maverick status. I, th- I think yeah. I've got to give him a zero, a zero out of ten. Yeah,
0: he, d- he doesn't deserve it, does he? Compared to the likes of Tommy Grabson and Duncan Ferguson, he doesn't deserve Maver- Maverick's status. But there is one uh, who played for Everton who I think could be a possible Maverick is uh, Paul Gascoigne. Obviously, there's plenty of stories out there of his uh, <laughs> his tricks um, in the changing room and out of the changing room as well everywhere but um, what do you think of Paul Gascoigne is he a maverick?
1: Oh absolutely I think the only thing that actually makes Thomas Thomas actually stands out more than him you know because at the time like I said at the time when he actually comes to Everton his first game he starts it's Paul Gascoigne and D- Tommy Gravison in the centre of midfield now I mean god almighty that must have been that must have been some uh, dressing room and that's what Archie Knox was saying I mean he he, he thought Gravison was more outlandish than Paul Gascoigne so that's really saying something so yeah I mean Gascoigne certainly was a maverick I mean he was a great footballer I, th- I don't think Everton saw the best of him unfortunately I think maybe he's a wee bit physically wasn't he quite uh, you know he problems off the pitch as well probably didn't didn't allow him to show his best um, I think that was probably at Rangers or maybe at Spurs I'm not sure but or Actually, probably for England was his best period, period probably. But um, no, I think we've got to give it to him. I think, I think slightly, I think slightly less than a uh, Duncan because I think he's just there's more known about Gascoigne. I think to me, have a Maverick. There's got to be that wee bit of mystery, a yeah. wee bit of denying. So I think I'd give him a, I think I'd give him a, a seven out of 10. 7 out of ten to. Yeah. to, to, to... To Gaza, yeah. yeah, not
0: bad, not bad. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that that that's a that's a fair rate. I think um, one we mentioned as well before we started, uh, before we pressed recording this as well is Alex Obviously the last uh, player to cross between uh, Everton and Liverpool or the or the other way. Um, he's a bit of a nutter, obviously with the with the hair and stuff. What what would you give him in, uh, as a, as a maverick?
1: Well, oh, yeah, I mean again, I, I think he's someone who there's a lot we don't know. You know, he you just look at his eyes. He knows a bit of development there. <laughs> you know, you know there's something going on. You know, he he just seemed like a bit of a kind of. A bit of a character. There was just something the way the way he carried himself, and you know, the way he looked, and he, he wasn't a bad player. But yeah, I think he's probably I would say say six, six out of ten. But I think I think that could re- increase if we did a wee bit of digging. You know, I, I think there's definitely there's definitely more. there a big uh, he was like a big kind of, he was like he was like a Game of Thrones, wasn't he? He was that kind of, you, know, <laughs> you can Imagine in Game of Thrones with that with that, with that kind of stature and build and the hair and stuff. He'd, he'd, he just didn't look like a footballer, which I think also was part of being a maverick. I think sometimes when they look too much like footballers like, you know, Duncan wasn't your average-looking footballer, and Tommy either. I, I think it's quite nice when they're a wee bit kind of different. That adds to it. Oh, you know, it's it's part of the charm, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, six yeah. out of ten for him, I think six so, but... Like I say, I think we could go higher if we uh, if we find out. So if you're out there, Abel uh, you know, get in touch with Tom. He's the man to uh, you know to unlock your secrets for you.
0: Yeah, maybe maybe uh, do an interview with him, or maybe even you can you can write a biography on this guy. Maybe that's it. That's your next project. Um, you never know. You never know. Yeah, we'll get in touch with him, because there's certainly a, a certain amount of mystery around him. So uh, we'll do, we'll have to do some digging, see what he. Um, See what he's chatting, but uh, next one, anyway, the last one we'll give you is, um, is a modern one Um, in Tom Davis. Obviously, we said uh, academy players nowadays are kind of told to act a certain way. And I do think if Tom Davis was coming through um, a few years earlier, he would be a bit more outlandish than he is because I do think he has been refined because of these... Uh, values that you have to adapt as an academy player nowadays, but uh, obviously he's a bit of a hipster. He, he walks around with his, uh, his socks down, things like that. What would you give um, Tom Davies, as, 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 a, as a hipster, as a maverick?
1: I think so. I mean, I think you're right. I mean, I think he's definitely got qualities. Again, he doesn't look like your regular kind of, you know, kind of footballer. And like you see the music or the things he's into. I hope we see more of that, you know, because I don't think I don't know why players nowadays feel the need to suppress these things. I mean, I don't know... I mean, we're all we're all individuals. I don't, I don't know why they have this thing. But anyway, I think maybe I'd give him five out of ten, you know, based on modern standards. You know, I think if it was back in, like, 10, 15 years ago, I think he'd be struggling to get more than three. But we'll see, you know, maybe as maybe as career goes on, he becomes a bit more outlandish or he becomes a bit more confident, you know? I just hope it's... I hope, I hope players like that come through more because that is the beauty of football. You know, I mean, I think it's too... Uh, if everyone's the same it's boring isn't it I mean yeah it's nice to win trophies but you want characters
0: definitely that's what makes football really isn't it and um, hopefully we'll see more of those in, uh, in the future hopefully anyway um, but yeah it's a fantastic book so make sure you do give a read um, if you're listening and um, it, it's fantastic I think it's on sale at Waterstones for 1999 as well so uh, we, yeah, where, where can we find the book
1: yeah, it should should it should be in Waterstones around the Liverpool area. I'm got to excuse my lack of local knowledge. I'm not sure really? how many of the Waterstones there are in Liverpool, but I'm I'm told it's there. So also you can get it on Amazon, and my publisher is Pitch Publishing. If you go on their website, you can they've got a wee shop thing, and I'll link you through as well. So you'll get it there. But my Dog Gravison, if you to punch it, in, you should. Uh, you should find somewhere and I hope any Everton fan enjoys it. And once again, thank you to you and thank you to all you know, your colleagues and people like that, Everton for, for backing the book, helping me out. It's been very appreciated and I've been sort of welcomed into the, the family, I guess, in some ways. So it's been really nice. So thanks very much for everybody's help. And like I say, I hope everybody gets it, reads it and, uh, has good memories of Tommy because he he certainly has good memories of Everton.
0: Yeah, do give it a read. It's a fantastic book. Uh, make sure you give it a read, Man Dog Gravison by Chris Sweeney Please do look it up and give it a read. Uh, thanks for a lot, Chris, for speaking to us today as well. I uh, really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, um, join us next time on the Toffee Blues. Thanks a lot for watching. Make sure you like, comment on the video as well, and subscribe to the Toffee Blues. And obviously, give give Chris be- uh, a Read the book. Read the book. Give Give Chris's book a read. Yeah, that's the one. <laughs> um, <laughs> Thank you.
1: Thanks for having
0: me. Yeah, thanks. Thanks a lot. Enjoy join next time on the Sophie Blues.